you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to encourage you to open them to Matthew 23. Matthew 23, we're going to look this morning at verses 1 through 12. Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12. This is Jesus' final sermon to the nation. You'll remember his first sermon uh, in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, was uh, a message of invitation into the kingdom of God. This is how you find life. This is how you find uh, blessing. This is how you get to God. And, uh, and so we see that message of invitation in the Sermon on the Mount. But this final message will be a message of condemnation. It's a, a message of condemnation very specifically towards the Jewish leadership, that he's going to pull the curtain back on these false leaders. We have the advantage of look, looking back through history and uh, obviously we understand these are some bad leaders, but in their day, they would have been very much respected. They would have been considered holy and righteous, and Jesus pulls back the curtains and says, these guys are wolves in sheep's clothing. And he's not just condemning their leadership. Really what we see here is a changing of the guard. Jesus is calling the nations. He's calling the disciples. He's calling all of us back to true and biblical leadership. This is not really new material. Jesus is calling them back. This is really kind of a a reformation back to true and biblical leadership, a model of leadership that points people to God and his son, Jesus Christ. Now, immediately, I know I've probably lost some of you saying, well, I'm not a leader. Maybe you're thinking nobody's really following me. But I'm here to tell you somebody is following you. Somebody is watching your example. If you have people around you in your life, they are watching. And the question is not, are people following you? The question is, are you following Christ? And Jesus is calling all of us to live lives that point people to him. You know, the Christian life is very simply the life of Christ reproduced in the believer by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the Christian life. It's, it's the life of Christ reproduced in the believer by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's biblical leadership. It's living in such a way that we are leading and pointing people to Christ. So with that in mind, let's read this passage. Let's begin in verse 1, and then we'll pray. It says, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to the disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move with so much as a finger. But they, but they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher and you're all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he is in heaven. And do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, and that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant, And whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, your blessings on the study of it this morning. May it go forth in power. May it change us so that when we leave this place a little later, we'll leave here changed. Because we met with you. We heard your voice and your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
So this message of condemnation, it's a message of condemnation to the Jewish leadership. But these first 12 verses aren't really directed towards the leadership. They're there. They probably hear this. But it's directed more pointedly uh, to the disciples and to the crowd that is, that is gathered there. And it's a warning and it's a call to true and biblical leadership. And I don't really like giving you lists on the base of God's word, but I really believe there's five biblical principles for true and biblical leadership that we find in this text. So I want us to look at them. Number one, the first that we see is that biblical leaders do not seek a position of authority. They submit themselves to the authority of Christ. Look at verse two. It says, the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. The chair of Moses was a literal place in every synagogue. It was the place of authority for biblical interpretation. So the person that sat in that chair, they were the teacher. They were the authority. And the the problem is not so much the position or the chair. The problem is that these scribes or these Pharisees have seated themselves in that position In other words, it wasn't something that was given to them by the Lord. It wasn't something that they received from the Lord. It's something that they took. They seated themselves in a position of authority. And when Christ shows up, who is the real authority, they did everything in their power to keep him from taking it from them. And if there's one principle that we see about leadership in Scripture, it's that true leaders Biblical leaders don't seek positions of authority. They don't seek to manipulate circumstances in order to achieve a position. No, they simply submit to Christ and his authority and allow God to raise them up when he so chooses. You know, we see some pictures of what not to do in Scripture. You'll remember Haman in the book of Esther. He sought a position of power. Boy, this guy wanted power. He wanted authority, and he manipulated circumstances. And it worked out well for him for a while. And then he wound up being hung on the gallows that he had created for Mordecai. In Acts chapter 8, you remember Simon the magician. He's led to faith in Christ by the, by the apostles' teaching. And then he's amazed by their power. And he wants the power that they have. And he offers Peter and the disciples some money. And you remember Peter says, may your silver perish with you. The picture is that biblical leaders, they're not seeking to manipulate circumstances to assume a position of power. No, they're just simply seeking to submit to Christ. Probably to to me, the best picture of this in scripture is the picture of David. David wasn't seeking to be a great king. In fact, when we first encounter him in scripture, he's just trying to be a good shepherd. And even after he's anointed king, what does he do? He just goes right back to tending sheep. In every station of life, there was just this humble submission to God. I often say that, that, that David's life motto was, I will be who God wants me to be when God wants me to be it. I'm just going to be faithful wherever he places me. And you know what I found? Those are the people that God raises up to positions of leadership. David was just faithful as a son. He was faithful as a brother. He was faithful as a friend. He was faithful as a shepherd. Wherever God placed him, he just submitted himself to God. He was faithful. He bloomed where he was planted. And on so many occasions, David had an opportunity to manipulate circumstances or take a position of authority, and he refused. Simply submitted himself to God's plan and saying, I'll be faithful. The ultimate example of this is Christ, who had the highest position of authority but submitted himself 
to God's plan and God's will and was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, and God raised him up and exalted him to a place that's above every place. You want to be a good leader? Submit yourself first to Christ. Be faithful wherever he's planted you. You know, I remember when I got out of seminary, I thought, boy, I'd make a great pastor. <laughs> you know, I had now a degree that proved I knew something. You know, I was somebody. And um, I couldn't find a ministry position. And God said, go sell some copiers. <laughs> Let's just see how you do as a copier salesman. As I often say, he said to me, Let's see if you'll share the gospel behind a printer before I let you preach the gospel behind a pulpit. And he put faith and I in a church. And he said, let's just see if you'll be faithful church members. Let's see if you'll be faithful servants before I allow you to be a shepherd. Biblical leaders don't seek a position. They seek a person, Jesus Christ. And they submit their life to him and they allow God to raise them up in his plan and his timing. Secondly, biblical leaders demonstrate integrity. Look at verse 3. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them. And, and first, it's important to note, he's saying here, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, these guys are some bad leaders. But Jesus says, don't, don't just throw the Bible out because of their bad example. And that's the danger of hypocritical leadership Uh, In many ways, it discredits our gospel witness. I mean, we all know there's people out there that say, I'm not, I I won't ever go to church because there's so many hypocrites there, and I've seen too many hypocritical leaders. And no doubt, (laughs) there's hypocritical Christians. But those individuals do not negate the truthfulness of God's word. We've probably all, at some point or another, been affected by a hypocritical leader. But those men are just a reminder that our focus is never to be on men, but on Christ and his word. If you placed your foundation on a fallible man, I'll tell you this, you will be let down every time. But you place your faith in the foundation of your life and walk on the word of God and Christ, and he will never let you down. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. But these men, they have a problem with integrity. No integrity. And the word integer in in mathematics means a whole number. Integrity is a person who is whole. That their beliefs match their behavior. Their witness matches their walk. Their lives match their lessons. And this doesn't mean that you have to be perfect to be a leader. Otherwise, we'd all be disqualified. But it does mean that we cannot call people to lead a life that we ourselves are not willing to live. I've often said that God never lets me preach a message that I first don't live. I get real nervous every time I come to a text that deals with trials. I'm thinking, what's going to go wrong this week? And sooner or later, I'm going to preach a message on how to deal with unexpected wealth and see how that works out for me. (laughs) But the principle here is you see it. As I go out into the world to call people to follow Christ, the question is, do they see Christ in me? Do they see Christ changing me? Example is better than precept. And one of my prayers that I pray every week is that the word of God would change lives. 
But the first prayer that I must always pray is that the word of God would change me. Great leaders, biblical leadership, is growing towards Christ-likeness. It's striving towards holiness. It's striving towards integrity between what I proclaim and how I live. And I believe that most people, they're not looking for perfect leaders. But they do desire to see authenticity and integrity. That there's a striving towards Christ-likeness. And then we see biblical leaders are not a burden, they're a blessing. Look at verse 4. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. It says they tie up heavy burdens. The Pharisees had developed a lot of traditions surrounding the word of God and the law. And they would, they would give the, the, the people a long list of, of legalistic rules that you had to follow in order to be pleasing to God. And they just piled upon your life rules upon rules, more stuff to do. And the reality is they didn't do it themselves. And to some extent they couldn't do it. They lacked the power to do and to fulfill that which they were telling other people to do. And I believe that they didn't really believe it themselves. Otherwise, they would have been the first to give an effort to try to follow these things, but they didn't. And it just revealed their heart that they really weren't interested in helping anybody. They were only interested in helping themselves. They were users. They were not a blessing to the nation. They were a burden I often say there's really two kinds of leaders. Leaders who use and leaders who bless. Leaders who use people to get to where they want to go or leaders who use their position to help other people get to where God wants them to go. See, leaders who use see people as a stepping stone to achieve their purposes. Leaders who bless lay their lives down and let people step on them so that they can reach their fullest potential in Christ. That's how Paul um, commended Timothy to the Philippian church. You remember he tells the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2, I hoped in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly so that I may be encouraged when I learn about your condition for I have no one else like him of kindred spirit who's truly concerned about your welfare, for everybody looks out for their own interests and not the interests of Christ. Paul tells the Philippians, you cherish Timothy because these guys are rare. Men who aren't looking to further their career, but to help other people achieve their fullest potential in Jesus Christ. Biblical leaders live to bless, not to use. Fourthly, biblical leaders live only For the glory of Christ. Look at verses 5 through 10. He says, But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. For they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues. Respectful greetings in the marketplaces. And being called rabbi by men. But do not be called rabbi. For one is your teacher and you're all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, and that is Christ. And the critical statement of those verses is right there in verse 5 when he says, to be noticed by men. These religious leaders, they're they're, they're more concerned with what men think than what God thinks. 
All of their religion was just a show. All their religion was external. And for what purpose? To be, to be noticed by men. They were on an ego trip. And Jesus gives examples. He talks about them broadening their phylacteries. They were just boxes, these boxes that you would put on your head. You'd put verses inside of them. In Deuteronomy 6, says these words that I speak to you, you shall write them on your hand and you shall, they shall be to you like frontals on your forehead. And they interpreted that passage very literally. And so they took the word of God, they put it scripture in boxes and they tied it to their forehead. And, and listen, the problem wasn't necessarily the box. I'm sure the motivation was right initially. But these guys are creating bigger boxes and strapping them to their heads to show off how spiritual they are and how much scripture they know. He talks about lengthening their tassels. In Numbers 15, every Jewish male was to have four tassels on their garment. These blue tassels that were to remind themselves of the, the holiness of God that he had called them to. Jesus himself, we believe, had these tassels in Matthew chapter 9 when the woman comes and reaches for the hem of his garment. Most believe those were the tassels. Every Jewish man wore these tassels. They were common. The problem was not the tassels. The problem was these guys were lengthening them to try to show off and tell everybody we're a little more holy and we're a little more spiritual than you. He goes on to say they love the seats of honor. They love these greetings. In other words, we're not going to sit back with the unwashed masses. You know, we got to have a nice place. We're too good for that. And when you introduce me, make sure you put my title on the front there. Don't I'm not just an ordinary person. Make sure you let everybody know how great I am. And it was all a show to impress people. It was a means of showing that they were better than everybody else. And Jesus, that's why he says, don't call anyone rabbi. You only have one teacher. Don't call anyone father because you only have one father. Meaning here, the simple meaning is we're all in the same boat we're all children of God. We're all students of King Jesus. I don't think Jesus is saying here you can't ever call somebody teacher. I don't think he's really saying here that you can't ever call somebody father in the spiritual sense. They led me to the Lord. No, he's just emphasizing that for any of us to set ourselves up as better than everybody else is really ridiculous. Because all of us are just sinners saved by grace. Amen. And the only one who is anything is Jesus. And I think we got to be careful here. I know that I do as I was studying this, just thinking about how easy it is for me to look at what somebody else does and say, well, they're just doing that to impress people. And I don't know. I don't know what their heart is. But I think it's important to remember that that the issue was not phylacteries and the issue was not tassels. It was their heart. See, we're so focused on the external. <laughs> God is not so impressed with what you do as much as he is with why you do what you do. The issue is your motivation. The issue is your heart. That's what's important to God. Not only is it what's important to God, but we need to be remembered that's the basis on which we'll be judged. We have 1 Corinthians chapter 4, when he talks about this judgment for believers, not a judgment on the basis of our sin. Our sin is covered by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But when he talks about our works being judged, he says the basis of that judgment will be the intentions of our hearts. 
I mean, I'm constantly reminded that, that one day I'm going to stand with Christ and he's going to take all the work that I've done. It's going to be thrown into the fire of his judgment and only what I did for the glory of Christ will pass through. True biblical leadership does not live to impress men with a bunch of external activity. Biblical leaders live to impress God by a heart that's completely given to him. And finally, biblical leaders demonstrate humility. Look at verses 11 through 12. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. That really the overarching, the defining mark of biblical leadership is humble service. That we are, as believers in Jesus Christ, our primary attitude is to be that of a servant. Let us, Paul says, let us be regarded in this way as servants. You know, servants don't have titles, (laughs) Servants are not really concerned about what they should be getting. They're simply concerned about what they should be doing. This is so dangerous. I, I, in relation to this, I was reading in, in Deuteronomy chapter 8. I want to read it for you. The nation of Israel, they're going into the promised land, and God is warning them because he knows there's a danger. They're going to get in this land, and it's a good land. And it's going to multiply. It's going to get better. Things are going to go well for them because of what God's done in their life. But he says to them in Deuteronomy 8 verse 11, he says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud that you have nothing apart from God. I remember reading, Charles Spurgeon said that um, when the church had grown and they had seen so much success, he confessed to his congregation that I don't love God in the way that I loved God when God was all I had. And that's the danger for every one of us. That we would get to a place of success to an extent where we would think that God's lucky to have us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4, Paul tells them it doesn't really matter if you're the person who won them to faith in Christ or discipled them. It doesn't matter if you're Paul or Apollos. It doesn't matter if you watered or planted. You are nothing apart from Christ. In other words, don't begin to think too highly of yourself. The picture there in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4, I put the word farmer out in my notes. That's all we are. My grandfather's a peanut farmer in southern Oklahoma. I, until he came to faith in Christ, I'd never seen him wear anything but overalls. I mean that, literally. I'd never. He'd go home. At, we'd get in at night. He'd come in late. He'd go in, take a bath. He'd come back out. You know what he had on? Overalls. 
I thought, does he sleep in them? I'm not sure what he does. But he was just a common man. And that was the thought that went through my mind. You know, we are, we're all just farmers, spiritually speaking. We're all just wearing overalls, seeking to work for the Lord. Howard Hendricks, Dallas Theological Seminary, used to tell his pastors, these guys that he was training up, he'd say, take your hand and put it into a bucket of water and then remove it quickly. And the hole that you leave behind is how vital you are to the body of Christ. And boy, isn't that encouraging, you know? That'll lift your heart. But the point is, we're all just servants of the king. And the minute we start to think of ourselves as anything more than that, boy, you're in a place of trouble. You know why you're in trouble? Because when you exalt yourself, you stand in opposition to God. That's really what he says in verse 12. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. As soon as I read that, I thought of the verse that says God gives uh, uh, grace to the humble, but God humbles the proud. God is opposed to the proud. I mean, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Do you know how many times I looked that up this week? Do you know how many times that scripture is referenced in the word of God, that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble? It's referenced, referenced seven times. Do you not think that's a message that God wants us to hear? God opposes the proud. I don't ever want to be in a position of opposing God because I know I've learned from experience (laughs) that's a losing battle. And I know God has a way of humbling me in an instant. I don't know. um, I was trying to find out this week if Spurgeon said this or not. Dr. Allen may know, but when the young preacher got up in the pulpit and Boy, he went up with a lot of confidence, and he just bombed. He came down, slunched over, and I believe it was Spurgeon who said to him, if you had gone up in the pulpit as you have come down from the pulpit, then you would have come down from the pulpit in the way that you went up in the pulpit. In other words, if you'd had a spirit of humility, knowing that you can do nothing apart from the grace of Christ, then you would have positioned yourself to experience the grace, the abundant grace of God. That's what we do when we humble ourselves. We position ourselves to experience the abundant grace of God. I don't know about you, but I need all the grace I can get. So just a way of self-examination as we close. How are you doing? When it comes to the life of Christ being reproduced in you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to present a biblical model of leadership to the world. How are you doing this morning? Is the primary desire of your life a position? Or is it a person named Jesus? What are you seeking today? Who are you seeking to be? Biblical leaders just seek Christ. Are you striving towards integrity? Um, Faith and I yesterday, before we went to the Chiefs, we had a full day yesterday. We went to the movie Overcomer. um, And if you haven't had a chance to see it, powerful movie. I don't want to give the movie away. (laughs) But I'll tell part of it. At one point, the lead character, he happens into a room with a patient. And... um, He's there to see somebody else, but he happens into this man's room and has a conversation with him, and then he has to leave. And um, he says, I'll pray for you. And he leaves. And later on, 
he ends up back in that man's room and he's talking to him and he begins to just share with this man how miserable his life is and how things aren't going his way and nothing's working out. And the man just asks him, who are you? Who are, what, what identifies you? And he said, I'm a, I'm a coach. I'm a teacher. I'm a husband. I'm a father. What else? He goes on down the list of letter, letter. He goes, well, I'm a Christian. Why did you put Christian last? He said, well, I could, I could have said, but you didn't, did you? And then he says to him, I'm just going to get really direct with you. Last time you were here, you said you'd pray for me. Did you pray for me? He said, no, I didn't. And he said, I'm going to get even more direct. For somebody who calls, him a Christ, calls himself a Christian, you sure don't act like it. Whew. Is the life of Christ being lived out in us? Do people see Jesus in us? When we face trials, when we face obstacles, do we present the hope of Christ or do we simply live in constant despair? Are we pointing people to Christ? Is there an integrity in what we say we believe and how we actually live? Are you seeking to bless people or are you just using people to get to where you want to go? In all your religious activity, what's the motivation of your heart? It's not just what you do, it's why you do what you do. That matters most to God. And is the predominant attitude of your life a humble servant? Do you know the question that I often ask myself that reveals if pride is creeping into my life? I keep it in my journal, and I ask myself regularly, are you more focused on what you should be getting than what you should be doing? Boy, it's a great indicator for me as to whether or not my heart's attitude has changed from that of a servant. How are you doing? And then finally, let me just speak to some of you who are here this morning or maybe listening online and you've been hurt by a hypocritical leader. Somebody who said something and declared something and then was living completely differently. And we've probably all been hurt to some extent by some leader or friend in our life who claimed one thing and was living something else. And I want to say to you, I'm so sorry that you experienced that hurt but I pray that you would understand today that that bad example does not negate the truthfulness of God's word. The gospel is just as true today as it has ever been. And the word of God is just as true today as it has ever been. And you are accountable to God as a sinner. And one day you're going to stand before him and no excuse is going to cover your sin. Not even a bad leader who affected your life. You will give an account personally. I implore you today, no matter what you've seen in Christ's servants, 
Know today he is a perfect Savior. And he will never let you down. Trust in him and know his salvation. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have shown us, not just told us what biblical leadership look like, looks like. You've shown us in the person of your son, Jesus, who gave up the glory of heaven, had the highest position, and yet laid it aside for our salvation. And Lord, I just pray for anybody here today that doesn't know you. I pray that they would be overwhelmed by the love of Christ demonstrated in his death for their sin on the cross. And I pray that they would humble themselves today, that you would remove any excuses that might have been preventing them from submitting to your lordship. And I pray today they would trust in you. They would follow the king of all kings. And they would know your salvation, they would know your grace, and they would know your forgiveness today. For those of us that do know you, Lord, I pray that you would do business in our hearts. God, I pray that you would extend grace and compassion. We appeal to your loving kindness that you would continue to work in us that we might give this world a glimpse of Christ in how we live. That there would be integrity between what we believe and what we do so that we would lead and point people to the only hope of salvation which is found in your son Jesus. Thank you for grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to give you an opportunity this morning to respond. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. If you're here this morning, you would like to know more about what it means to follow Christ and trust in Him for salvation. We'll have pastors here at the front who would love to talk with you and love to pray with you. Maybe you just want to pray here at the front. Maybe you'd like to unite with our church family. This is your time. Know this morning you will never regret obeying Jesus. So you respond as we sing.